Daily movement is so crucial. I, I think of it as changing the chemistry. And so chemically, if you're able to move and sweat, I have to give that to myself every single day to mentally show up in the version of myself that is going to best be able to support and enable the team and the company. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 91 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payment today, and we have a great episode coming up with Ty Haney. Some of you may know her as the founder of Outdoor Voices, but over the years, we've gotten to know Ty pretty well, and she's just an awesome person, a lot of great experiences, and just a really great conversation today around mental health, starting a company, getting back up, getting moving, feeling good all sorts of cool things and uh, some of the new companies she's working on with Joggy and trying to rethink you know clean energy and uh, a lot of the stuff she's doing to bring uh, a community aspect to that brand and and things she's building there so really really exciting conversation before we get into it want to remind everyone that we would love a five-star review on your podcast player uh, whoever leaves leaves one sends it to me on email p at madhappy.com will win a special prize the first 10 are winning every week so that's been pretty fun and in the description of the show you can ask us a question we'll be doing one soon where we're answering a bunch of things but special prizes for those that ask as well those are audio questions so gonna be fun and we'll be playing them on air but without further ado please enjoy this episode with myself and ty haney the Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with Ty. Welcome back to the Mad Happy Podcast, everyone. I'm Payman, and today I'm joined by Ty Haney. Ty, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. One place we like to start every show is from a prompt uh, from the Mad Happy Journal. So you'll answer the question first, and then I'll go. Uh, so my question is, what's one thing you're grateful for today? I'm grateful for what I call my pack. My husband dropped me off at work today and we had we were sitting in this old <clears throat> yellow truck that he has and there's it's just a bench sheet and I had my three puppies myself my husband and we had just dropped the kids off so very grateful to have a very abundant little pack or family love that mine is um unfortunately this morning I was actually at my friend's dad's funeral and it was super sad and um you know it it, it was crazy because usually Monday mornings is like so crazy at work and all this stuff and uh, you just realize like you never think uh, sometimes, you know, it gets hard to think about just like all the amazing people in your life or the amazing life that you have. And I think being out of work this morning and just like reflecting on that and being super grateful for all the people in my life and trying to like cherish the moments more um, and not be so worried about the next uh, Zoom call or whatever. So, that's you know, that that's funny because I'm generally like at it, whatever, starting at 730 every morning and Today, one of the little ones had bit his tongue and like, you know, everything had to pause, but it ended up meaning I took, you know, more hours than I would on a Monday morning to like be with them and with this little pack. And I had the same kind of realization. I was like taking a little bit more time for, for me and, and family was a blessing this morning. So interesting that you had the same but different experience. Yeah. You know, I think I'm, especially Mondays, I don't know. I just have this like weird anxiety for better or worse of like, I just want to get started. Cause like, I know I'm trying to do a lot on a Monday and totally. um, 
being pulled out of that is good sometimes for sure. One one thing um, that I know is that you grew up uh, in Boulder, right? And something we always talk about on the show is like, you know, kind of the outdoors and how important it is for your mental health. I guess thinking back to growing up there, like any specific memories around that and just your early childhood? Yeah. Um, Boulder's a super outdoorsy place. And so since I think I moved there from Long Beach when I was three. My mom and my aunt, they're twins. They started a company and then moved us to Boulder. And since my first memory of Boulder, every single day started with a hike. Um, and so we lived basically on the campus of CU. Um, it's called the Hill, but the coolest part is the Flatirons or Chautauqua Park are within, it takes 10 minutes to walk up to <clears throat> this little trail. And so that was something that we started our day with every day and like through, through high school, et cetera, which um, I think is quite exceptional and, and way different than the way most people start. So since we were tiny, like, you know, rain, snow, sunshine, whatever, my mom would take us up that hike through Chautauqua Park and back. And it wasn't long. It was 30 minutes, but it set the tone for the day in a way that, you know, I replicate and kind of use as a tool today with myself and with my kids. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess, how did that change for you? Like growing up in a place full of nature, like like Boulder, and then moving to New York um, to go to Parsons, like, was that a, a, a shocking change? Uh, definitely. And Boulder, again, is like super recreational. Like everyone's there doing three sports, kind of three different sports, kayaking, hiking, whatever, biking. And they're extreme about it. My uh, The way that we did it was you bike to essentially go to school it was a little bit less extreme, but still like a really important part of your day. And so that was something that like just became a muscle. And I ended up taking a year off high school um, and then ended up going to Parsons in New York. And I didn't recognize it immediately, but there was definitely kind of like a mental impact with with not necessarily having kind of the, the hill to hike or, you know, the the practice to kind of keep me accountable to moving every day. And so Living in the dorms, I mean, there's a whole, you know, different or uh, wild set of newness. But that was something that I recognized as I wasn't being active and, and mentally it was taking a toll. So I ended up signing up for basketball at Parsons, which is like not a big deal. But uh, it was it was kind of interesting. It was intramural basketball. It ended up being me and like all of the security guards. And so that that was kind wow. of like my first take at like you know, reigniting this like commitment to exercise. I didn't last that long because like I ended up being like the height of their uh, armpits, which was like not a really, you know, sexy <laughs> spot to land. Um, but but it was like system shocking going from an outdoorsy place like like Boulder, where, you know, there's access to mountains to climb, et cetera, to living in a tiny dorm room with four people at Parsons. Um, and I think it took me probably a year to like start to build a routine again. And it really became, you know, that, that, uh, experience that led me to starting Outdoor Voices. That's amazing for me starting, um, you know, going into high school, like the first year of that was like very transitional for me going into college and then leaving college. Like it, it always, it took me a little bit like to figure out like what my new path was and what my new normal was. Um, for you, I'm curious, like, is there a time in your life, whether it was the year you took off or your first year at Parsons that like, was a little bit of a struggle mentally, or were there other experiences just growing up where maybe you didn't know specifically that you were struggling with your mental health in some way, but now looking back, it seems pretty clear. 
Um, I took a year off uh, coming out of high school because I wasn't clear on what I wanted to do. I was kind of flirting with the idea of like continuing to run. I, I had grown up running track um, and cross country, but then that felt a little like too one note to me. Um, so I took a year off and, and moved to Boston, which it's kind of a funny story. I had visited Boston because a friend moved there in the summer and was like, wow, this place rules. And then I ended up moving there in the in the fall and pretty quickly was like hit with what they call a nor'easter which is like the most snow you've ever seen um and I remember having like felt like the I guess decision to take a year off and really understand what I wanted to do kind of in university was was the right one but I felt so disconnected living in Boston I think I was working at a restaurant at the time just like not having kind of a familiar routine or community to be part of. So so that was like a really interesting point in life where I felt extremely lost um, and kind of was like pulling at strings for like, where do I, where do I go next? Um, so that, that feels like one of the most or kind of like prominent vulnerable times in life was leaving high school, unclear on kind of where university or if university was part of the next chapter. Yeah, we always talk about um, just like before you find like things that you're truly, truly passionate about and want to be doing for a long time. Like I'm sure running was that for you before. And then you grew out of it and you're like, what's next? And like the feeling of not knowing, especially when you're younger and you want things to happen a lot faster, it is really difficult. So I guess at what point in Parsons or in your time in New York, did you figure out like, maybe I want to try this like fashion thing, this apparel thing? I, so I, I had been um, in Boston and actually one of my favorite points in life was working in this restaurant called uh, the Border Cafe. I was, it was in Harvard Square and slinging margaritas, but very social. And, and that was kind of the fun part of that, I guess, year between high school and college. And I, I had always been someone who was like aesthetically inclined um, and like very into energy and kind of, I, I think of it as like, where, where is shit happening, et cetera. And so I started to become interested in New York and Parsons caught my eye because they had this interesting um, program called design and management. So it wasn't fashion specific, but rather mm. it was combining kind of an aesthetic or visual interest with learning how to run a business. And so I applied to Parsons and the first visit, I, I took the Fungwa bus from Boston to um, New York and, and the first kind of toe dip into the city, I was like, this is where I, was, I have to be. And so it was really all about this like energy that attracted me to the place. Um, and, and I think you got to trust the timing, you know, of your life in a lot of ways. And that's something that I've learned kind of time and time again, it, it was like very lonely to be in Boston, but for whatever reason, it got me to the East coast and, and to experience New York city, which I then ended up living there for 10 years. And I guess, so then what led to you starting a business? Cause I think obviously it's still rare to, to go to Parsons and then immediately start something after. So like, what was that uh, initial spark or how it got going? The coolest thing about Parsons, I'd say number one, is like being in this Petri dish of just people trying trying things often. And like, there's so much happening there that like you absorb 10 times more than you would, let's say, in a boulder. Um, so I So being in the city was already like an environment that inspired wanting to like create something or build something myself. Second thing was what I learned at Parsons was the number one takeaway was being able to visualize your ideas. And so I've always been someone that like likes to build or create things. And then the third thing was, as I lived in the city, noticed I wasn't being as active as I was used to kind of growing up. 
I realized that there was an opportunity to create, let's say, a brand or community around filling that gap. And so had grown up wearing Nike as an athlete and like the goal with Nike is to cross the finish line first. And so I loved that brand and like understood how much from an impact perspective it meant to me and others, like when the goal is like, I want to run hurdles faster than the girl right next to me. That said, I was looking for different inspiration kind of on campus and kind of at that point in life. And so started to take those three, I guess, inputs and realize that there was a massive opportunity to create kind of the next generation of activewear brand that was one female founded, but prioritized different things than kind of traditional activewear brands and, and really created a space that there could be inspiration for a different type of active. And so that's really where Outdoor Voices was born. Um, and I, I, I don't know, it's, it's funny thinking through, like, had I waited five years to go build Outdoor Voices, what that would look and feel like today but I ended up feeling that I needed to do it right out of school and yeah I learned so much it was awesome yeah for sure yeah I feel like um you can never time like when you're going to start something specifically or or even when you know when it's going to end and I personally like think of different things too I we started Mad Happy when I came out of college and yeah I think the first few years we really didn't know anything and I, I wish I could take back some some decisions or change a lot of things but but obviously that's still what led here I guess I'm curious you know you, you talked about energy like and sort of like intention and I think when I first saw Ovi I think I was um, probably like a freshman or sophomore in college and um, I thought it was super cool super unique you know I think now there's so many brands but even back then you know there weren't that many active wear brands at all that um that were trying something new you know and i also grew up just with like nike and adidas and whatever um how did you think about like kind of like the energy that you wanted to, the brand to have obviously it felt more inclusive and more like community oriented but but what did that mean for you i really found inspiration i think just like naturally or instinctively through the way that we were active growing up and so it, it was important that it had this youthful optimism in kind of how we showed people being active. It was important that it was social. And so in all of the ways that we captured um, the activity that then would become ads or just marketing materials, it was like group and it was fun. And so really like the headline kind of in, in the way that we brought OV and our version of activity, what we called doing things to life was joy. So doing activity for the fun of it. And my bet was... We can help people find ways to be more active if it's fun versus pressured. Because every, you know, the only the only view of an athlete that I had seen before was you better be faster, stronger, fitter, et cetera. And I was like, what if we could free fitness from that idea of performance and make it all about connection and fun and what I call is connecting the dots. So like whether it be a dog walk one day, a surf the next, just like consistency and frequency is ultimately how you use movement to unlock or maximize happiness. Um, and so that that was definitely a take on kind of the active space that felt fresh and new. And it's funny to fast forward 10 years later, maybe not quite 10, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm like, well, that's a long time ago. Uh, and see that that has been widely adopted. Um, you know, in the way that people approach this. And and ultimately, like, that's the benefit, I think, of, uh, I think society benefits from from that perspective on activity. We can get more people moving and and that leads to happier, healthier lives. Yeah, for sure. I think um, in a lot of ways, like, it was a very both optimistic, like you said, and, like, 
mental health uh, forward, like mission and vision, because, you know, for us, even like starting, it's like been interesting to see just like how much, like even just walks or, or sitting in the sun, stuff like that can help. And you don't always need to be like sprinting um, to feel better, you know, especially for people who like haven't worked out for a long time. It feels really hard to get started. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm curious um, because I've definitely felt this is like, you know, on one side, you're starting this whole movement and it's amazing. And what you want to do is like inspire a lot of people to to start moving, to start feeling better. But also that like on the other side is like all the challenges and pressures of starting a company and then it growing and then like all the expectations that come with that. So obviously it's impossible for those two things to be balanced. Um, it's like you have to go through suffering and, and hard times for the benefit of the larger community. Um, so what was that experience like? Obviously it's like, was your first time going through it? That's a really great question. This might be too businessy for kind of your traditional uh audience but like the headline to me is the direct-to-consumer model that's venture-backed in a lot of ways is broken and and isn't a model that uh nets you know a high probability of success and so we can kind of come back to that but what really worked early on was activating locally and thinking small although we had this like big vision and like bold reason for being like the way that we started making traction was a strategy that I called activate IRL and so on a local level and then amplifying through digital and social. And so that literally was starting to uh, create programming around like local pickup basketball games that our team would show up to and then invite friends to Uh, dog walks in the city. And like, we'd start to program on a local level, these events that, you know, started to over time become bigger and bigger, but like, we wanted to feel small and we wanted to feel local and that made it less of an intimidating thing to join. And then it became quite sticky and it became repeatable. And so Mm. you'd have your outdoor voices, you know, dog walk happening on a Saturday. And like we first started, let's say with 20 people and then it became 80 people. And so I really leaned into, or we really leaned into this, I activate IRL and then amplify that through social to grow strategy. And it's some, it was community first and community is kind of a buzzy buzzwordy term. I think it's quite fluffy, but it was, it was very much something that was core to our playbook that, that allowed us to grow in a way that like the brand meant something to people. And we had customers that really stuck with us. And yeah, one thing you said on, on the venture side, and, and I think we could go there for a sec is like, um, anyone can start a brand now, which I think is amazing. Obviously like 50 years ago, we probably neither of us could have started anything. And, right. and I think that um, that's amazing. But also I think what it means is like, it's hard to know how big every brand could and should be, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think now whenever I talk to people who are just starting brands, I'm like, you know, maybe it's a $5 million a year brand or maybe it's mm-hmm. 50 or maybe it's a hundred. And it's like hard to know from day one. Um, but, but yeah, I agree. Like, you know, the unsustainable actions of like trying to just grow uh, because, you know, I think it, it's really hard for that to um, work for every brand. And yes, of course, some get lucky or some, you know, were meant to be bigger sooner versus, totally. you know, Nike, obviously they, they didn't take any money and now totally. they're doing 80 billion a year in sales or whatever. So what is your perspective on that now uh, being able to reflect on it? Yeah. From what I know, I think you guys have built your business differently, which I very much respect. I think patience is something that I 
have learned. <laughs> um, and it's funny because, like, I'm kind of a highly energetic, active, you know, just like I have so much energy. I, I think of myself as like the Energizer Bunny, which in a lot of ways is good because like I'll go <laughs> try, try a lot of things and have the energy to build. Um, that said, to your point, like the brands that we know and love, like a Nike or Patagonia, weren't built overnight. Like that became lifelong projects um, of the founders. And there's something really like to admire there. And so what's interesting is I think we ultimately at Outdoor Voices raised a crazy amount of money, like 60 million-ish dollars, which is like, what the fuck? Um, whole, like that, we raised too much money, but what that allowed us to do in a bad way was we weren't required to master the fundamentals of running an apparel business. So everything, you know, like inventory planning, et cetera. And then next to that, we were, we, we started running kind of many uh, strategies at once. And so this kind of activate locally amplify through social community led strategy that worked for us. If I were to go back, you know, five years ago, I would have leaned more heavily into that. And like that might have meant slower growth, but it ultimately netted more valuable customers. And like we'd probably be I'd be sitting here with a different kind of situation as it relates to OV versus running on top of that, like paid social and like pouring dollars into Facebook and Instagram, which like, you know, my nature wasn't to do that out of the gates. But we ended up doing that because when you raise raise a ton of money, the pressure to grow insanely quickly also comes with that. And then I think the third thing is a lot of the businesses that become huge overnight, like inadvertently make themselves a trend. I'd be curious your take on that. But longevity is something that like I underestimated or or more so appreciate now, longevity and patience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think patience is like very hard to understand, especially when when I was younger and even today, it's still hard for me to understand, mm -hmm. especially in a world where you see a lot of external things that are moving more quickly. Um, and I agree. I mean, I think in anything I do, I obviously want it to be the biggest and best it could be. And one time I read this like crazy thing that like Lululemon did 5 million in sales in their fifth year. And then I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I guess um, I think we're good and we can just, <laughs> you know, relax a little bit and just, you know, try to figure it out. And then you read Shoe Dog or you read any of the Patagonia books and, and then you're like, damn, like, you know, these brands probably would have been ruined if, if they had a lot more money early on. Um, and yeah, I think the fad piece is also right. You know, I think for us, like, you know, we, we think that Mad Happy is something that sh should hopefully be around for well beyond like our lives. And, yeah. and if that's going to be the case, then like, we can't like, just like grow at all costs. And, and again, there's a balance, you know, I think also in, in a world where like, you know, you need to grow because growing, you know, is part of like the evolution of any brand. Like you can't just stay still. Uh, I think, you know, you have to just be open to, to that path more, but I'm curious, like, you know, for me with this being my first company, I think it's illuminated a lot of the mental health challenges of, of, of trying to run a company um, and trying to have some sort of like balance in my life. And obviously I understand that like the sacrifice I'm making now means I'm not going to have the, the, the perfect balanced life with, with exercise, with sleep, with all of those things. I think I can do my best in all of those areas, but how, you know, I guess like, how have you started to think about that or, or approach that now as, you know, you move on to, to new businesses and, and in a new stage of your life? 
I mean, daily movement is so crucial. I, I think of it as changing the chemistry. And so, yes, there's a lot of pressure in what we do and it's nonstop. So there is no balance, but chemically, if you're able to move and sweat and whether it be five minutes to five minutes probably doesn't work actually. So at least 30 minutes in, in my version, I have to give that to myself every single day to mentally show up in my, you know, in the version of myself that is going to best be able to support kind of and enable the team and the company. So um, for like today, what that looks like is getting the kids ready for school, et cetera. And then, and then before anything starts, like going and running for 30 minutes on the trail. Um, I'm curious, like that oftentimes gets derailed just by the nature of our jobs, but that's that connecting the dots is something that I've I've really kind of prioritized kind of throughout all of this. I'm curious from an exercise standpoint, like how how what do you do? Tell me. Yeah, good question. Um, I've definitely wavered over the years. I think the past two years I've had a great foundation um, back uh, on the exercise side. So I would say one is like I love Andrew Huberman. I'm sure you've listened to a yeah, lot of his stuff. Course. So I try to do the sunlight thing, which is easier to do in LA, of course. Um, and, you know, before I like leave for work, I try to like walk for at least like five to 10 minutes to just get some sun. And then, yeah, like six or so times a week, I'm trying to work out whether that means like going to the gym and just, mm-hmm. you know, walking on a treadmill because I'm just like so tired and I really can't run or on the Stairmaster or playing basketball or different things like that. Obviously, when I can do it outside, it's better. Yeah. I think I've also found like, you know, for me, it's like, sleep is also a big part of it. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed that like when I don't sleep like around like seven ish hours, at least, um, I'm just like, I'm just like definitely like my mood is a little bit worse and, and I'm just like not feeling as great as I normally do. And so I think that that's another piece that's been really important for me. And then again, like other pieces around therapy that I only started going to therapy like last year, January of last year. So it's been like, or a year and a, two years now, which is kind of crazy every week for two years. And every um, week. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's been pretty cool. You know, I felt there were so many things in my life that I felt my life was great, but, um, and that's not really what therapy is about, but it's like about uncovering a lot of these things that you didn't even think to think about, um, totally. using that to kind of inform why you're making certain decisions or why you feel certain ways. And then being able to actually feel those things, I think, as an optimist myself, and maybe you've noticed this as well, is like, you know, a lot of times bad things happen and we say like, it's all good. Like, let's just keep moving forward. But I think a lot of times you still have to allow those sad and, and bad feelings to go through you. And yeah, I think, I think it's just like um, allowing myself to like feel those things and, and realize that like, it's okay if I'm not feeling great about something has, has been important. What about you? There's two therapists in my life right now. Um, <laughs> exercises me mentally like that's my daily therapy and then I have a I have a therapist or we for like a relationship therapist that like gives us the toolkits we need just to like you know be great be great partners uh for one another and so I we we go to her like twice a month but like it's something I look forward to and I would do every day if possible you know and so I I do think like for a lot of people movement can be that and should you should think of that as you know one version of therapy but maybe yeah as I get older and potentially you know have more free time I don't know if that's coming true but like 
daily therapy is like absolutely an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I guess for you, would would love to hear about um, TYB, both what that means, and then and then how you uh, ended up starting uh, the new companies that you've started. Yeah, of course. Coming off After Voices, I started two companies, TYB, which stands for Try Your Best. Um, and the name comes from when I was little, uh, and my mom would like send us out the door with that as our monta- mantra, just like an approach to anything you do, try your best, um, which I quite like. And so that would be like going to soccer practice or school or slumber party, and it stuck with me, and it's something that we often kind of used at After Voices just in the way that we approached things. And so that's that's one of the new companies, and it's essentially a community-building toolkit for brands um, today to direct, directly connect with their audience or customer base and incentivize that community or kind of like loyal fan base to help grow. Product or this platform was built directly coming off of my OV experience, which was a direct-to-consumer brand, obviously, but ultimately the business model isn't direct. And so, again, we would be spending too many dollars on acquiring people through a Facebook or Instagram that were ultimately not sticky customers. They wouldn't stay, They wouldn't live with us. And so we really built TYB to be this toolkit where, again, I can, I can directly engage with and then reward kind of my loyal fans for helping to refer friend, friends in to help co-create or influence kind of the product. And, and it's been really awesome because it's, it's purely been built off my last experience with OV. And it's a toolkit that I wish I had there and is proving to be quite successful for other brands today. And what's the other one? It's Joggy. Um, so Joggy is a clean energy brand, not like Tesla, but energy like a supplement that you'll take. <laughs> Joggy was born out of needing some sort of clean, not sugary or synthetic energy source. And I'm someone who's loved Red Bull for a, way too long. And I was like, I, we need a better for you plant-based version. And so it's interesting because one of our taglines at Outdoor Voices was endorphins make you happy. And that's mostly true. But as I clicked into the science behind the feeling, like what, what creates the feeling of a runner's high, which is like this joyful euphoric state after a long period of exercise. It's actually a system that we have called the endocannabinoid system, which regulates mood. And so what was interesting is learning more about that science is our body makes something chemically similar to cannabis. So what comes from the hemp plant. And so we created using kind of a specific cannabinoid from the hemp plant, a product called runner's high. And you take it before you work out and it gives you this joyful feeling. And so similar to kind of our take on on how to get more people active throughout their voices, Joggy's take is a different format. It's essentially different energy and recovery products, but tapping into that uh, endocannabinoid system and chemically helping us enjoy activity more so we can do it more often and go for longer. That's awesome. And then I know that you, you're using the TYB product, obviously, uh, in, inside of Joggy as, as, as a great case study. But yeah. um, can you explain like how, how you've sort of connected those two? Uh, yeah. So when thinking about how to launch a brand from scratch, we essentially offered a digital uh, collectible, a Joggy Doggy is what we call it, that we sold to 500 um, community members. And it came with a suite of perks. Um, access to the channel, revenue-based rewards, which means as Joggy kind of grows, you're getting a kickback as a collectible owner. Um, you got first access to product. So buying this collectible essentially formalized your relationship as a community member of the brand. 
and gives you stake in the success of this brand over time. And so mm-hmm. I think we sold out in 40 hours and now we've uh, increased that group um, of Joggy Doggy holders to 1,500 people. But it allows for community members to engage with us in a whole new way. And so one example is over the last eight months, we've been working on the Joggy Energy Drink, so the direct replacement to a Red Bull. Nice. And we've essentially surveyed and pulled this group of joggy doggy collectible holders um, on, you know, things like taste and what are you looking for in an energy drink and essentially gotten a bunch of valuable insights and preferences upstream uh, and allowed this group to be co-creators or kind of co-owners of this process. Um, And so last week we launched the first version of the joggy energy drink, which is on its way to you. And And um, all of all of the community members are essentially taking part in the creation of the goal being the best new plant based energy drink. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been quite cool. And the headline is we have now a direct uh, line of engagement with this group that's very different than building community on an Instagram or Facebook. That's awesome. I think it's funny because, uh, like you said earlier, like direct to consumer was not actually direct to consumer if. Uh, the only way that you could reach your audience is by, you know, putting ads up on Facebook or or even just like only using Instagram and 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 Facebook to connect with them. And I think uh, so. I I bought a Joggy Doggy uh, when they first came out, and I thought it was super interesting because, you know, the people that support you early on in a brand, you know, often get forgotten. Um, and I know that the, you know this was the case for us. Is like we have all this data, we have all these amazing customers that we've had for a long time. But like we never we never even really think about how to reward them. And I think when we've started to think about like our best customers or people who have been with us for the longest, like it's pretty sad that we we don't have a suite of perks and all this stuff that we could give them. And so as we start to think about like the next phase of Mad Happy and like I said, you know, we don't know how big the brand's gonna be, but we do know that we have a great group of of people who have been loyal for a long time and they should probably benefit more from the growth of the brand. Uh, than someone who came by one time or someone who finds us a few years from now. And so that, that that's really cool. If you think, just to tie it back to an OV example, um, and I guess make it more tangible for people who are like, I don't get a collectible or like this Web3 world kind of doesn't make sense to me. Where where it kind of comes from is in in the early days of Outdoor Voices, we would have host all of these events and we would reward people with a blue doing things hat uh, for coming to an event and essentially moving their bodies or participating in the mission. And so this blue doing things hat became a symbol of your belonging to the community and like a souvenir of your participation. But then people would be on the trail, let's say in Austin or in a yoga class in um, New York and like high-fiving each other, like, ah, you are part of the community too. What's cool about the blockchain technology is now that blue doing things hat is minted in time. And so the first 500 Joggy Doggy holders or fans, like we at any point in time can go airdrop a surprise yeah. and delight or like cool moment. Um, but like it mints in time, like when you became a fan of the brand and you essentially get more more rewards when done right for essentially when you joined and how active you've been in, in helping to grow the brand. Um, and what's cool, like from a brand building perspective is not only are you now like prompting prompting your community members to like help grow and rewarding them for it, but you can make community measurable in a way that hasn't been possible before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> we can go deep on that separately. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think um, 
Yeah, it's cool. I think the idea of like, oh, how many days you've been a customer for or when your first purchase was, stuff like that is like often forgotten. Um, and it's yeah. just like, oh, when is this customer going to buy next? Um, and yeah. I think like about rewarding just like early behavior or or behavior that like helps shape who we are today or who any brand is, is amazing. Um, my my final question, which we ask everyone, is what makes you mad happy? <laughs> I love the balance between mad and happy, but um, what makes me mad happy? You know what makes me mad happy is I'm someone that likes to try a lot often. And so I'm like, I push it to the limit, like at all times. And then, and that has kind of a double-edged sword. It's awesome. Like I get to know know quickly what I like and what I don't like and what I'm going to repeat or not. But also that's like kind of a high high stakes way to live like it's not all that peaceful at times so like I think of mad happy as this really cool kind of yin and yang and um finding kind of the sweet spot as it relates to like pushing it but also pulling it back feels like a constant balance that that I think of when I think of myself and mad happy yeah that's awesome well well I just want to say I think one thing you said that your mom taught you you know tyb try your best I think uh it's starting any company or starting anything is obviously hard and it never really gets easier. At least it has not gotten easier for me. And then you're never guaranteed that something uh, is going to end up the way you expected it to. But um, just want to shout you out for obviously getting back out there again. And I think, you know, in, in this world, it's just like it, that, you know, paints everyone as either like heroes or villains or all this stuff. Like, you know, that's obviously not good for anyone's mental health. And I think just uh, resilience and, and, and the ability to get back up. Obviously, that's that's what uh, being an optimist is all about. So so really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this stuff. Yeah, of course. One kind of final thought, just thinking about the optimist piece. I would consider myself an optimist reductionist in the sense that my view on like going out and setting a vision and then going and executing against it is like things are totally possible. And paired with that is... I really like to deduce things to their simplest parts. And I think that's the combo of those two, like is important if you want to build a business because it can become so big, but the most important thing is like having a place to start and getting started. And so uh, maybe that's even more my mad happy version, but the optimist reductionist. And I think ultimately like one thing that can't be taken away from people is their ability to set vision and then go build against it. And so it's been really important being, you know, a female founder in particular to like go show that we can, you know, get knocked off the horse for lack of a better way of saying it, but go start again and um, be the example that that kind of shows that that's possible. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think uh, just just getting started is really the only way and, and, and not everyone might have like the vision at first, but I think if you just take small actions forward, then eventually like something will build or, or it'll spark something inside of you. So uh, would encourage everyone to do that. And Ty, thank you so much for being on. Little wins every day, baby. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope everyone enjoyed the episode. We're getting really, really close to 100 episodes. And so just want to thank everyone for the support and continuing to share the show talk about it give us suggestions ask us questions and as always leave us a nice review so thanks so much everyone and we'll talk next week
the Mad Happy Podcast.